that song that we just sang, uh, the level of thankfulness that God brings us to to thank the Lord for our pain and our suffering is, I believe, a, a, a significant place that God brings us in our Christian walk because literally there are some things that God's going to place in our life that are not going away. There's certain pain and trouble and suffering and thorns in the flesh that God's going to bring our way for our own good and to bring us to the place that we can thank God for it genuinely uh, is a place that the Spirit of God's, the Spirit of God's going to bring us. You may not be at that place right now yet, but uh, it is a joyful time when you do come to that place because you'll find out that God's grace is sufficient. Right? And his, his grace and his power is really uh, perfected in us, uh, in our weakness. Not in our ability, but in our weakness. That's when God's most glorified in your life, when you're at the weakest. That's odd, isn't it? That, try to wrap your, try to teach that in some college or seminary, I mean college or uh, university, even in some seminaries, try to teach that. Well, anyway, tonight I, I don't really want to do an exposition on anything, but I do want to share some things. The title of my message this evening is The Great Exchange. And uh, the reason why I want to look at this is because I believe it's going to be helpful for you and I to realize from Romans chapter 1 that the personal problems that we have come from unbelief and the consequences that come with unbelief. Even as a believer, the downward spiral of what sin does is still there. The presence of sin is still real. The power of sin is still felt and could lure us in even when we know better. So man's problems are rise from the fact that he's not only lost, but he, he's lost the address. He doesn't even know how to get to where God wants him to go. But when he does know that and God gives him that information, sin is still sin as a Christian. But for a Christian, I believe that sin is utterly sinful because we ought to know better. So the overarching cause of man's personal sins and or problems are rooted really in his desire to be, want to be religious. In fact, we know from the world that men and women are incurably religious. But the truth that is available to man is exchanged for something else. Hence, the great exchange, which in turn causes all our personal problems of all people who occupy this planet, whether believers or unbelievers. So all our personal problems, 
can be traced back to the great exchange. What do I mean by that? Well, let me mention what I mean, and then I'll have a word of prayer. I mean this. It's when the glory of God is exchanged for the image of created things. When the glory of God is exchanged for the image of created things. That's where all our problems start. And in other ways, to say that is a little twist on the character of God that we place on it, apart from what the Word of God teaches about who God is. That's all it takes, just a little tick. And all of a sudden, we're spiraling down because we misunderstood who God is. Let's pray. Lord, this evening, I ask you to help me just to lay out some things so, Lord, we can be more informed and more knowledgeable in the area of the subtleness of the power of sin and where it leads us to unbelief and to, Lord, exchanging your glory for something else, an image of the created. Lord, keep us from that. Help us to always be aware of that. So, Lord, when we are confronted with things, we can avoid going down this spiral and hence avoid certain personal problems in our life because we understand who you are and what you require. That we're ever being immersed in your truth and being adjusted in our understanding of who you are. And Lord, when we are in that position, then we can truly honor you and worship you with our life. So Lord, help us to learn and understand tonight this great exchange. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse number 25. Here's the overarching exchange that causes the problems that we have. It says, for they exchanged the truth of God. There it is right there. They exchanged the truth for God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, God's glory in Scripture is the manifestation of God's character, His ultimate power, His transcendence, and His moral perfection. See, God is completely above man and His limitations. He doesn't need us. Yet, God reveals Himself to us so that we may worship Him and follow Him. In other words, God does not want us to have a distorted view of Himself. He wants us to have a biblical understanding of who He is so we can follow Him clearly and we can worship Him rightly. That's God's intention in salvation. The main point of salvation is to worship God rightly. But people take that knowledge and they twist that knowledge and they exchange that knowledge for the image of created things, and this is really clearly understood to be what the Bible calls idolatry. 
I mentioned that this morning, but I wanted to mention it again tonight. Now, again, this is not a new thing. Take your Bibles quickly and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And I want you to notice in this passage what God says to his people, Israel, and specifically a phrase at the end of verse number 5. Exodus chapter 20. And it says this, I believe it's, it's verse 1, I want. Is it? It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And then in another section in the word of God, we find something very clear about what God says about idolatry and really idolatry can be summed up in in three ways idolatry is worshiping anything other than the lord himself idolatry is trusting anything other than the lord for salvation and idolatry is anything that takes place takes the god's place in your heart especially found in first john chapter 5 verse 21 But one thing that the Lord says in another portion of Scripture, he says, you must never worship or bow down to them. That's the idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I will not share your affection with any other God. So the Lord does not and will not share his affection with with any other thing or any other God, and he makes that clear in Scripture. He's a jealous God, and that because of his jealousy, he does not want that to take place. So, in this great exchange from the glory of God, exchange for the image of created things, it leads to this area of idolatry. Now, back uh, to Romans, and... In Romans chapter 1, without going verse by verse, you'll find that there are several things in this passage of Scripture that are significant and important. It talks about here God's judgment, in uh, in really chapter 1, verse 2 to 15. God judges according to truth. He judges according to deeds. He judges according to the light that he has given to a person. And men 
were meant to show forth the glory of God, but not only do men not give God glory, but their attitude toward God is unthankful and unholy, and they don't want to approve of God. They don't. Uh, they are judges of God. In fact, they don't even think it worthwhile to retain God in their knowledge. They throw God out and the knowledge of God like old clothes. They change the truth of God into a lie, the passage that I read, and then they turn the truth about God into something which is actually not the truth, but a lie. And so we are more apt to believe lies than to believe truth. God says, because of this unbelief, my wrath is upon men, upon people. And that wrath, of course, is manifested toward man in two, in two ways for, or for two reasons, because of ungodliness and unrighteousness and because of the utter inexcusability of sin, that God will not and cannot excuse sin. And so we have, hence, the, the explanation in Romans chapter 1 that God, of course, his plan was that men could claim that they are ignorant of who God is, but God says in Romans chapter 1, no, you are not ignorant, and the reason why you're not ignorant, because I have clearly made it plain to you in, in, uh, in uh, general revelation and in uh, revelation that I giving, have given to you internally, so you have the witness of conscience in verse 19 and 32, that conscience is the consciousness of right and wrong, Conscience passes judgment on decisions. It either condemns a decision or commends a decision in our heart. God's placed that there, this this standard of right and wrong. And, of course, God has been a tremendous witness in creation that he externally, he has displayed his power, he has displayed his divine nature, and so... Therefore, that God has manifested himself in the work of creation all around us. He knows the number of stars, the Bible says. He knows the number of the hairs on man's head. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows what might have been. God knows all things. So God has revealed himself clearly. And the scripture does tell us that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen through creation so that everyone is without excuse if they refuse to believe in or give glory to God, they are under his judgment. That's basically what it says there in Romans, the first part of Romans chapter 1. So God has revealed himself to the whole world through what he has made. The creation shows not only his, that he exists, but it shows that he is just, It shows that he is righteous. It shows that he is holy. It shows that he has glory. He has might. He has majesty. He has dominion. He is a just God. It is not enough to save man creation, but it is enough to render man inexcusable for unbelief. So man is without excuse. The pagan man in the jungle is without excuse, how much more terrible and awful is the man and the woman in the United States where the gospel has been preached and where the Bible is opened 
in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And people still don't believe. So the general and special revelation that has gone out, and believe me, you know it. You know that when you looked at the creation, whether through the naked eye or through binoculars or through a telescope, and you looked into the heavens, you, you concluded somewhere saying, there's a God. This is incredible. This is amazing what I'm looking at. And so man takes that knowledge, and the Bible says that he suppresses it. He puts it down. Why does he put it down? Because man is prideful. It's the old lie of Genesis that you'll be like God's. Right? And so they get puffed up in their intellect. They get puffed up in their knowledge. Uh, they have this sense of authority. All right? And man with a great brain says religion and God is primitive. These things are primitive. We don't need these things. We can get along fine without it. And so there's another reason why man suppresses the truth because of their wickedness. They have vain reasoning. They, they really substitute their own silly ideas, their own thoughts, so that they what? They get rid of God. Again, here's the exchange. Here's the overarching exchange. They exchange the glory of God for something created. They have a wicked philosophy. It ends up being it's God's revelation up against your own idea. Well, I don't think the Bible is true. I don't think God exists. You hear people talk like this all the time. And the result, of course, in verse 21, which I'll look, look there in a minute, is simply this, a darkened and confused heart. When Jesus stands before them, they, don't, they see a carpenter, maybe. They see a good teacher. They see a good moral example but they don't see who Christ is. See, their heart is darkened because of unbelief. And the only hope that they have, the Bible says, is the light of the gospel, right? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is, in the, image, who is the image of God. That is what we're to proclaim to people. All right, so once this overarching exchange is made, The causes of man's personal problems can be seen by the downward spiral that comes from an exchange of the truth of the glory of God. So this is what we ought to watch out for. That there's a series of downward steps that takes place when this kind of thinking slips in or we slip into this kind of thinking again after we become Christians. And so here's the first thing under that umbrella that happens when the glory of God is exchanged for the image of created things. Here's a series of downward steps. Actually, there's, there's four downward steps that I want to just give to you this evening. And here's the first one. The first one is this. That when that happens, the truth of God is now exchanged for a lie. If you look at the passage that I read in verse number 25, but before that, 
look up to verse number 18 and 19. That means this, that if the truth of God is exchanged for a lie, that means the thoughts are affected in man. The way they are thinking about things has changed. It says in verse number 18, and here's the first thing, they have twisted thoughts. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, all right? That suppression of the truth is that they push it aside, they try to dismiss it, they are trying to twist it, they explain it away or try to get rid of it. They are fighting against this truth. They are suppressing the truth about the glory of God. Verse number 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So this exchange is now for a lie. Their thoughts are affected Their thoughts are twisted. Also, their thoughts become foolish in verse number 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to become wise, they became what? Fools. That their very thoughts became foolish. See, if the truth is held down or suppressed, it doesn't mean that other things don't get in there. That truth that is suppressed has to be exchanged with something else. There can't be just a blank slate there in the thoughts. It has to be replaced by something else. And the Bible says clearly in verse number 25, they have misguided thoughts. Why? For they exchanged the truth for God, of God for a lie, right? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So here's the first step in the downward spiral of sin that causes our problems in... in the problems of life is that we start believing what is untrue, what is a lie. And so our thoughts are twisted, they're foolish, and they're misguided now in our thinking. This is, this is in the thinking realm. Another thing about our thoughts is that they become, our thoughts become selfish. Look at verse number 28 of Romans chapter 1. It says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. They start thinking of depraved mind they start thinking wrongly about what about god and how god revealed himself in general revelation and more specifically in special revelation this is what happens so there's the first step so there can't be a vacuum there in your mind it has to be replaced by something else and so really when somebody's counseling someone the first thing that they find out is what lie are you believing, right? Cheryl will tell you when she's counseling people. She'll tell you when, when, when people go to counseling classes that there are the first thing you try to find out is what lie are you believing? What truth are you giving up and what lie are you believing? That is causing this problem, this dilemma in your life right now because it starts there in your mind. Second downward step is it moves from your mind and remember your mind emotion will it moves to your motives right here's the second downward step that the worship and service of god is exchanged for the worship and service of things it says the word says in verse number 21 that a person in their motives is going to have 
darkened motives, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So, see, the motives are based on empty speculation. The motives are based on faulty thinking, twisted thinking, foolish thoughts and misguided thoughts. And now the motives of the heart are now being moved away from that which is true and honoring and pleasing to God to that which is just what the world would say or what the flesh would desire. Now we're in the motive part of it. But also, not only is there a darkened motive, but there is diminished motives. In verse 23, it says, And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling things. In other words, that their motives are lowered to the animal level. They're, They're lowered to the base level. And so, therefore, if this this spiral takes place and this what happens in our mind, then it moves to our motives, and then everything is moved down. The standards of Christians ought to be going up, right? Not down. We've moved from that place, but this is what happens when we, again, fall into sin and start misunderstanding the glory of God and exchange it for something else because there must be an exchange made. But the exchange made causes trouble in our life. And then there is the creaturely motives in verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature. The motive to serve at the creaturely level, at the people level, at the animal level is what happens when the motives now are informed by a twisted mind that have not, has now uh, moved away from a biblical understanding of who God is in, his, in general and special revelation as revealed in creation and the word of God. And so from the mind, it moves to the motives. And of course, the motives, it moves to the what? It moves to the feelings and the affections. Look what it says. Here's the third downward step, that godly emotions are exchanged for ungodly emotions. Godly emotions are exchanged for ungodly emotions. Now, verse number 25. Lustful feelings and emotions in verse 25. Therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. See, affection for self-centered things. Now my affections that have been informed by my mind, that have been informed by my motives, and now it's affecting what I feel. Now, if, if my mind is wrong and my motives are wrong, well, will my feelings be right? Will, will, will my emotions be right? Will my, will my affections be on the things that God wants them to be on that reflect his character in my new life now in Christ? Or will they be on something else? Will they be on me? My, a self-centered type of emotion. The lust of my heart. 
Second thing under this thing about feelings and affections, we will have degrading feelings and emotions. In other words, affections for what is forbidden and what is utterly sinful. Look what it says in verse 26. Notice in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to, look what it says, degrading passions. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural, and the same way also the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So we have these this degrading type of affection that is moving towards what is forbidden and what is utterly simp- sinful. And believe me, you can't get much more twisted than verse 26 and 27 when even the world says, this, is, this may not be, at least today, right behavior, right? Or acceptable behavior. In our time, it's becoming more acceptable. And that's, that's exactly what happens when there is not a check and balance on the character of God and how he revealed himself in, in, in creation and specifically in the word of God. If there's not a check and balance, then this is what happened. Here's the spiral. The mind goes, the motives go, and the affections are... They're all over the place. Also about the affections, notice in verse 28, they're depraved feelings and emotions. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to those things that are not proper. In other words, the depraved mind is driving the will to crave what is twisted, what is untrue, what is a lie. And believe me, it's not like we're going around and saying, you know what, I'm going to stand, I'm going to believe a lie today. No. When Satan presents a lie to you, he does not present it as a lie. He presents it, he presents it as what? True. Right? With a little twist. Right? Did God say that to you, Eve? A little doubt, a little question of doubt plants in the mind. So, see, we're not necessarily out to believe a lie, but that's exactly what the enemy wants to do when he, we get to a place where now our affections are, are affected by our motives and our wrong thinking about God. And so you have this downward spiral, and now this depraved mind is driving your will and your emotions to crave that which is not good, is twisted is unhelpful, is sinful, and is utterly destructive to you and everybody around you. And then here's where it ultimately, it, it ultimate, and, and if you notice in verse number 28, who's out of the picture at this point? Who's out of the picture? God. They don't, they don't even see fit at this point to acknowledge God any longer. Why? Because God causes a problem in what their desires want to do, right? God, God in his character, even though twisted, causes a problem for you. So if I don't think about what God requires, if I don't acknowledge what God requires, if I don't go around people who want to do what God requires, then you know what? I'm pushing God out. 
I don't want to think about what God, who God is and what God is going to do at this point, and I, therefore I don't want to, in my mind, acknowledge him anymore. Now, of course, this is ultra, this is, this is really ultra depravity here, where God's judgment and wrath is falling on people. But I'm, I'm just looking at it from a Christian point of view to show you that the spiral away from uh, truth and understanding who God is still causes the same effects for us. And then notice another thing in verse number 32. Then you begin to approve your evil feelings and affections. Look what it says in verse 32. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Get this. The Bible is saying here at this point, they spurn the justice of God and know they deserve judgment. But their affections are so engaged and so enthralled by that which is twisted, it's captured them. They're caught. They're in the trap of sin. That's what sin does. And that's what they want. They don't want God in the mess. They understand, yes, I'm a bad person. I deserve the justice of God. Even, it says in there, even such things worthy of death. But then it says, look what it says in the last part of verse 32. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That the person's mind and motives and affections come to the place where they have, in a sense, the majority approval rules and they encourage others to sin like they're sinning. And so what do you have this, uh, you have this uh, just propagation of sin, you know, like it's the proverbial, you put the, the snowball on the top of the hill, right? And you roll it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And then nobody could stop it. And so they spurn the justice of God and they encourage others to sin like they're sinning. Now, there's one other downward step that I want you to notice. And here, this is really, this is really in reality, I, I, I said, man, this is exactly how it works. So, the truth goes for a lie. The worship and service of God goes to the worship and service of things. The godly emotions are exchanged for ungodly emotions. And here's the last one. Obedience. Obedience of God is exchanged for their affection and desire for sinful behavior. In other words, their affection for their sinful behavior is greater than their affection for Obeying God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wrestled with this in your mind? Where you find that the power of the temptation to sin begins to get you to think about that sin and imagine that sin and put yourself in the story of that scenario of sin and before you know it, you are enjoying it and not wanting to let go of it. 
And in that process, you are actually exchanging obedience to God for sinful behavior. Look what he says in verse number 29 through 31. So that means that your actions and conduct are affected as you move against this overarching theme that you exchange the glory of God for that of serving the creature and not the creator. It says in verse number, notice what it says, 29. So you have sin-filled actions and conduct. Notice, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, verse 30, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. This is the result of this downward spiral. So love, the love of sinful behavior, and the affection for sin becomes greater than your affection for God. And then you don't know what? All kinds of sin floods in. All kinds of unrighteousness floods in. All kinds of uh, just crookedness and twistedness and twisted thinking comes in. And you come to the place where you don't want to obey God. Why? Because you love your sin. So here's a warning to us. Here's a warning to me, to all believers. Just remember that God will not share his affection with anyone else or anything because you are his child and if you are his child the bible says and you get into this position he will discipline you and discipline shows you that the father's love is being displayed to you and god's going to bring you back from this way of thinking and the wrong motives and the wrong affections and the wrong thoughts because you're one of his kids in fact one of the reasons why there's, you know what, you know why there's church discipline? You know what the Bible teaches church discipline? Really, for this reason, that when you put somebody out of the church, it's either going to prove one or two things, that they're a believer, and they want to repent of their sin and obey God again, or they're, they want to love their sin and not obey God. It's going to show whether they are or they are not believers. That's the ultimate goal of what, church discipline does when a church a whole body moves towards someone in affection and love to rescue them and yet through the steps of being patient and long-suffering with them they don't want to be rescued why because they love their sin then you put them in the realm of satan and if they are a believer then god deals with them and god judges them and god disciplines them and God brings them to repentance, and God brings them back to the flock, to the, to the body of believers. And the body of believers, of course, in real repentance, are open-armed, right? Come back. We are glad you are back. And uh, now show us fruits unto repentance, right? That's what happens. That's what we ought to be doing. But there's a passage of Scripture before I, I, I land on this thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, very interesting passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. He, uh, Paul is teaching the Ephesian church pretty much basically 
he says the same thing in Colossians. He says it in Ephesians. He says it in, in the book that we're dealing with in Romans. But look what he says in verse 17 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. He says, he, he simply is talking about the, the Christian walk. And he says this, so this I say and affirm together, this is Ephesians 4 verse 17, with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Verse 19, and they, they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Verse 20, here, here is the admonition for you and I. You did not learn Christ in this way, did you? Can anybody say with confidence that I've learned this from Christ? No. So he is saying to the Ephesians, you didn't learn to live like that. How did you learn to live? Look at verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, then in verse number 24, and put on the new self, which is which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. So here it is. Here's, in a sense, the, the coming back, the being aware of that, listen, this is not what I learned as a believer from the word of God. I learned obedience. I learned godly emotions. I learned how to worship and serve, uh, serve God. I learned the truth of God and how God revealed himself from the word of God. And I have respect for that, and that's what I want in my life. And so, therefore, I don't want to make this exchange. I want to repent of my sin, and I want to come back to the God who loves me and to the Lord who died in my place. I don't want to be lured away by sin. And that's what the church is about. The church is to help each other not to go down this path, not to get caught in this spiral. So what do we do? I think we do what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. He said, search me. Lord, search me. Lord, try me. Test me. And point out anything in my life that offends you. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's what we ought to be doing. That's a great prayer for you and I to pray on a regular basis. Because sometimes, honestly, sometimes it's hard to, to search your own heart. You can search it to a point. But you have to give the search over to the all-searching eye of God. And then be open for the Lord to test you in that search. And that as he tests you in the search, that you would be open for him to point out anything that would offend him. And then as as that is pointed out to you and I, that we would be willing to be led by God out of that offense into a continued, ongoing, healthy, growing relationship with Christ, right? So really, there has to be a hatred for sin. 
that's growing in our hearts as believers, that's what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. He's not only helping you to identify it quickly, but he's helping you to put that thing to death quickly and get it out of your life and not let it mess up or twist something that God's doing that is good, good for you and healthy for you, right? So tonight I just wanted to share with you without a verse-by-verse exposition on, uh, I think, things that have been helpful to me uh, and hopefully helpful to you that you just don't play with sin. You just don't do it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God this, this evening, Lord. It's always a rich, a rich time, Lord, to see what we, many of us know already, Lord, but sometimes we don't always think about, at least in reference to ourselves. But Lord, I pray that from this day on, we would be more sober-minded in keeping on track from the Word of God so what we understand about you can be verified from Scripture. So what we understand and will continue to understand and grow as far as your character will always be founded in your Word. And then, Lord, I pray that as that happens, that you would make it clear to us that there are going to be times that we're going to be tempted to make that exchange. I ask you, Lord, that you would not allow us to do it, but that we would be so growing in the truth and so walking in the light that the truth and the light of your word would expose the spiral that's starting already and cause us to catch ourselves quickly. So, Lord, if we have been caught in it, I pray that you would rescue us. I ask you, Lord, that you would search us and test us and point out any offense in our heart. And then, Lord, lead us in the way of everlasting, the way of truth. And I pray that you would make us stable, loving, and strong believers who cannot be tossed to and fro by the lies of the enemy. But we would just stand on the truth of your word of God, of the word of God and be soldiers for Christ. And I pray this tonight for the strength of your church and your children. In Christ's name I pray, amen.